Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, psychology grad student, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I provide a space for women to share their stories. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today and enjoy the episode. Hey, everyone. Today, I'm here with Catherine. Uh, Catherine is a third time. We're at third. uh, Last time you you came on, you were like, what is the highest amount of times people have been on? Because it's my goal. So third time podcast. (laughs) Almost there. I think four has been the the winner. I think it was uh, we had somebody on that talked about COVID three times. I was like during like the height of COVID and she came on and she's an epidemiologist and she updated us like three times. And then, um, she also came on recently for a whole, like talk about burnout and mental health care anyways. So I think she is like the top. So four, so you're almost there. You're almost there. <laughs> so anyway, well, that's, that's relevant. That's really relevant stuff. So yeah. <laughs> in uh 2000, Catherine Marie gave birth to premature twins. Then in 2015, she was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. She says that cancer does not define her, but has shaped her. These events served as a springboard to help others through their own challenges. And Catherine is now a speaker, a holistic health coach, and author of her book, Fearless Action, Strategies and Stories to Help You Manage Your Fears and Pursue Your Goals. Last time you came on, we talked a little bit about your book too. So Mm -hmm. everybody should pick up a copy. Go get it. (laughs) Check it out. I love it. I love that. I love it when I have authors on it's, and you know, I mean, not to talk about like writing a book, but like right. authors to talk about, this is my experience and this is, you know, what I've gone through and, you know, you are an inspirational lady. So thank you for coming on again. Uh, thanks for having me, Megan. Yeah. Hashtag goals to be on Megan's podcast numerous times. <laughs> I've told you before, you're always welcome. We already well, have like- just- multiple topics we can talk about. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was texting a, a friend, family member uh right before we jumped on and I'm like, you know, she's just so fun to talk to. Why not? <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm glad I'm glad you enjoy being on as much as I enjoy talking to you because like sometimes I'm like Oh, what, what if people just don't like my, but you listen. So, you know, I like, you I like do. my style. I do. So like yes. <laughs> you reached out and you were like, I heard your episode about being overwhelmed. I can always come back on Yes, please. Yes, please <laughs> help me out. So anyways, uh, today we we're going to talk about something we mentioned in the last episode. So if people haven't listened, they need to listen to your other episodes, but we talked about the sandwich generation. And mm-hmm. by the way, uh, Amy, who uh, her episode is airing before yours, and I met her in school. She was so pumped. She told our professor that I talked about the sandwich generation on my podcast because we had just talked about it in class. And I'm pretty sure I told you that. <laughs> she yes. was so Amy can get like she listens to and she gets like super excited when I like talk about her, even if it's not they don't mention her. But yes, uh, she told our professor, and I guess our professor was like, that's awesome. So Here's a whole episode for this. Right. <laughs> so okay. tell us a little bit about what is the sandwich generation and your specific situation. Sure. Well, okay. Disclaimer. Uh, so you probably know that the more the clinical or perhaps historical educational, you, you got probably a better <laughs> head wrapped around sandwich generation than I do. I'm just immersed in it. <laughs> Yeah, you're just much. living it. Yeah, I'm just living it big time. So my experience is, uh, yeah. So my my last episode with you, we talked about my children, and so just a quick recap: they were born in 2000. They were born at 25 weeks gestation. They were one pound babies. They have had multiple diagnoses. And uh, they have multiple different abilities. And so they are now 22. They turned 22 since we last talked. And I don't know if they will ever not live with me. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, there there's opportunities for perhaps different housing options for them. My daughter says she wants to always live with me. And so I am fully immersed still with them at the age of 22. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still immersed in caring for them because mm-hmm. of their different abilities and, and challenges. And so um, there's that. So I'm really, I could, you know, I'm in my fifties. <laughs> I had to think for a moment. I wanted to say early fifties, but it's approaching mid. So, <laughs> but um, my mom had me young and mm-hmm. so she is in her mid seventies and yet she has had uh, lots and lots of health issues mm. and she is aging and needing more and more. And she lives about 30, 35 minutes away from me. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm just fully immersed in that sandwich generation. So my definition it, and what I think is the common definition that I got, took a really long time to get to this, but the the common (laughs) definition is being sandwiched between generations and Mm -hmm. and the caregiving of the two generations. Yes. And so I'm I'm just immersed in it and, and really still providing a lot of care for my children and now more and more care for my mom. Yes, that's exactly, I I don't even remember what the, you're like, you probably know the uh, official, I don't. Uh, what they officially call it. Um, One of my professors is actually saying like, when you fill out the PhD application, you should let them know is like, you are capable of breaking down like scientific jargon into what people can understand. She's like, because it's very difficult for people that work in academia sometimes. And it will really help you stand out as a professor, as a researcher, that you can explain these more like, not that sandwich generation is a complex thing, but some of the other things I talk about are more complex into like understandable bite-sized pieces for people who have no experience in like what the research I do is. Um, and anyways, so yes, sandwich generation is is um, the generation, and this isn't a specific, specific generation, like millennials, Gen X, like whatever. That's not where we're talking about. We're talking about, a generation of people who are caring for both their children and their elderly parents, which we're seeing more and more often, especially because uh, people who are considered boomers, I guess is how you'd put, I don't know. I don't know. Had right. there was they're called, it was a baby boom, right? Right, had right. Lots and lots of children. Mm-hmm. Well, now those children are having children too, and people are having children later on in life than they used to be. So now you're having children later on life, and your parents are getting a lot older, and so you end up caring for both. And sometimes it's not because people's parents are getting older, but because their parents had an accident. They, you know, something happened health wise that caused them to need more care. So yes. Sandwich generation, people are caring for both their parents and their children at the same time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and side note, that's really valuable that you can do that. Just take the the clinical terms and break them down into bite-sized layman terms. That's so helpful. I don't I find that I cannot retain clinical stuff and regurgitate it, but I know, I know it enough to break it down. So yeah, <laughs> like, it's, it's just so much easier <laughs> for everybody all around. Uh, but yes, so uh, I did have my children in my thirties. So for some people that's later, but because of their different abilities, I'm still caring for them. Whereas some yeah. people that are my age, their children have gone off to college or mm-hmm. have reached a certain level of independence, but they're not requiring as much care. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just not my case. And my mom, like I said, she's in her mid seventies. And, and I know people that are older than her, that I'm even friends with somebody who is in her eighties but does not require as much care. So it's mm-hmm. really individualized. Absolutely. Uh, my mom, um, I would say is she is independent in her home. Um, she is just at a point where she cannot do everything herself. Mm-hmm. And I'm 
keeping a watchful eye on her as to whether or not we need to consider an assessment for perhaps memory concerns. I'm keeping a watchful eye on it. She's had um, over the past several years, she's fallen several times. Mm -hmm. And so I'm careful about knowing her schedule and touching base with her. Um, sometimes like today, I, I knew she had something on her calendar, but I accidentally called her and then I had to leave a message. Oops, I know you're not home. It's so you don't have to call back. So, yeah. you know, but, but there are times where um, I have not known her schedule and then she isn't home and then I'm calling and calling. Where are you? Are you okay? Because maybe she's fallen. Yeah. And so it, it's looking at, it, it's a, for me, I'm in this limbo point where I'm looking at do we need to bring in other people and, and just kind of watching things and, and how much can you do? And, and part of it is she had shoulder surgery at the beginning of this calendar year, and then she recovered from that and then she fell. And so there's, you know, it, it's an ongoing assessment. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the struggles that people find with being in the sandwich generation is things are constantly changing and mm -hmm. you constantly have to reassess the situation and adjust and figure out what do I need to do now? Do we need to do more to do, you know, and, and just kind of reassessing and, and um, problem solving along the way. Yeah. I can um, relate to what you're talking about where, you know, people who are older than your parents um, not older than my parents. I'm not talking about my parents, but I'm my grandparents. So my spouse's grandmother lives on her own in like a senior living community. She's got her own little house, but she's got her friends and she's just doing it's going to the pool. She's a woman bebops all over the place. Like you would, <laughs> I mean, her skin shows her age, but like what she does does not show her age. Mm -hmm. um, cognitively, you could kind of tell because you're just like, you know, repeating herself and stuff like that. But yeah. generally, general health, woman just all over the place. My grandparents uh, are younger than her by quite a bit. Like, almost a whole decade younger than her. Yeah. And um, they live independently too, but they've now started to have needed, because none of us are available to care for them. I live in Connecticut. They live in New York. And uh, family members that live in New York, like, you know, some of them have health issues themselves. Some of them work full time. So nobody's able to like come in and actually care for them because my grandparents are on you know social security they don't have a lot of money so i guess their insurance co will, is covering somebody to come in and like help them out during the day and like do all the health things my grandmother needs because my grandfather's getting up there and as much as he wants to he he can't he can't right. take care of her the way he wants to so anyways long story short you have my grandparents who are almost a whole decade younger than my spouse's grandmother and, you know, they're needing help and they're needing care during the day and they're having all these health issues. And my grandmother was in and out of the hospital last year. And then you have my spouse's grandmother who's just bebopping all over the place. So I understand what you mean is when you're like, but like, I know people who are older that are mm -hmm. in really good health and just mm -hmm. able to go do whatever. And then you have a family member who you're like, why are they like, why? Like, it doesn't make sense, but it happens, you know? Right. Right. I have a neighbor across the street. I'm not kidding. She's 90. And she walked over just a couple of weeks ago. She walked over with cards for my, my children for their birthday. And oh, she, that's so she sweet. Brought them. I know. And it's so cute. She always puts like a $2 bill in the card. <laughs> she loves $2 bills, but she's 90. She walks around the neighborhood when she can. And she's sometimes, I'm not kidding. I swear that she was out mowing the other day. She, she just is. And, and, and the, the, the phrase around the neighborhood is I want to be her when I grow up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how I'm, I'm like, I want to live to be a hundred, but like a spry 100 where I'm just able to go do the things. Like I, I've already thought about it and told my spouse, I said, we need to be set up for success because I want it. If I can't live in my own home by myself, then I want to live in like a senior community where they have like, because a lot of the senior communities will have like people that 
are on the premise in case there's a need of help or whatever, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like inside, um, you know, inside the park where they can, you know, if there's an emergency, somebody can come and help out, but then For you're sure. still independent. And that's what I, I want. Like, I don't, I'm not bashing on it, but I don't want to be stuck in like a, you know, in a like hospital type setting. It's, right. Right. So if I live to be a hundred, I want to be spry 100. Otherwise don't live to be a hundred. <laughs> and, and I think this is important to mention though, for us, because I feel like you and I, we're going to like learn throughout our conversation, just as the listeners were. Yeah. Or will. Uh, but the, the, the places that you're talking about, and when you say set yourself up for success, maybe you mean investment. Yes. These, yes. Yeah. yeah <laughs> these places are expensive, mm-hmm. like really, really expensive. Yes. And I, I just, I feel like there's a lot of people who, um, they either can't afford those places. Mm-hmm. And so then they end up in a different facility that maybe isn't as, um, maybe as well cared for and comfortable. Yeah. And comfortable. Um, So I think it's important to talk about the, the struggle is real. And Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a really good thing to think about whether or not uh, we can bring elderly people into our home or whether or not they are financially able to go into an apartment situation that has step ups of, you know, as care is needed, increased care, that sort of thing. You know, I was thinking about this topic before we talked, and I'm going to share a couple of links with you that you can perhaps share with the listeners that like, there's a couple of websites where you can, there's like a, um, elder care directory, and yeah. a federal government programs for seniors page that perhaps, I mean, I just think it's really, really important for people to do their research and yes. learn what's available. Like I'm at a point now for me personally, that that's what I need to sit down and do and start learning what resources are available because mm-hmm. I don't want to be in the situation where I'm like, uh oh, she needs to get out of where she is. What are we going to do? So yeah. I think it's important to be proactive and learn what resources are available, what applies to your particular situation or your family member's situation. Yeah. And so that you have that, so that you're not stuck. Because there's, there's times I know people who have had a family member in a hospital because of whatever medical mm-hmm. situation and they can't go home on their own. So what do you need to figure out? And you know, and, and so I think it's, like I said, it's, it's a matter of being prepared. Yes. And and why I say set, set us up for success is because I don't, this isn't to bash on anybody, but I don't want my children to have to take care of me if they're unable to, right? Because we're in a really right. bad situation with my grandparents where nobody is capable because we all have our own families, not that we don't love them and care for them. We have our own families that we're trying to raise we can't just take like time off of work and quit our jobs and go when we will have no income coming in to care for them. Or um, they're not going to move down to Connecticut, I'll tell you that. So <laughs> I can't move up to New York and take care of them. You know, and everybody and our family is kind of in this situation where like we're really not set up to where we can take care of them and they don't want to move. Like that's their home. They paid for it, like all those things. Mm-hmm. So it's like a really weird situation where you're like, I want to help. I really do want to help. But like there, what is there? And so you're you're right. Understanding what the options are, are very mm-hmm. important because mm-hmm. most of us didn't even know like what options there were or that their insurance would cover somebody to come in and right. provide care for them. So right. And the struggle is real because I feel that it's like you know, um, because my mom doesn't listen to podcasts, I can say that (laughs) (laughs) I can say that, uh, I know she does not want to go into, for example, a senior living facility. And I know that it would be really, really hard to have her here full time, Mm -hmm. but that is the struggle of being in the sandwich generation is figuring out what is this thing. And I think it's really important too, to have communication and think about, like, what are the expectations? What are, 
you know, um, what I know that what her desires are, (laughs) I know what my capabilities are and somehow we're going to have to meet in the middle. Yeah. And like with your grandparents, it's like figuring out, you know, what are the options Um, and, and having perhaps conversations of, you know, perhaps you may someday need to leave your home and, and it, it's just plain and simple. It's just hard. Yeah, absolutely. This whole aging thing, I think in particular, uh, you know, the sandwich generation has two sides, but I think the, the, the half with the elders is really, really hard um, because you have this person who is used to being independent Mm -hmm. and is maybe losing their independence opposite of the other side where they maybe don't have full independence and you're trying to teach it to them. Yeah. So it's, it's those two opposing sides that you're dealing with when you're in the middle, but when you're talking with a, an elderly person who is losing so much of themselves, that's really, really hard. And sometimes it's really, really hard to have patience with them Mm -hmm. as they are changing. And it's, um, yeah, it's just, I think a really hard thing to navigate. Yeah. I can't, I can't imagine like the position that you're in because right. I'm one step removed from my grandparents. Like I'm not their child. So I don't, I mean, this sound, this is going to sound horrible, but I don't feel as, uh, committed to having to take care of them as like maybe my mom I don't know I don't talk to her but like maybe she is or or my uncles are are like you know because she has two brothers like maybe they're feeling differently because like that's their parents you know you kind of feel like oh that's my parents they took care of me I should take care of them Mm -hmm. and and we seem to forget that like yes uh decades ago like 50 years ago, things were cheaper. (laughs) One person could work and the other one could stay home easily. Now, um, I was just doing research on this uh, for a class is now, I think it is 70% of married households, both people work uh, because to live decently a lot of people need to have two incomes coming in. Mm -hmm. And 50 years ago, that that wasn't the issue, right? Like you could have one income coming in and, and live comfortably. And so now you're, we're, we're in this weird space where like one person can't just up and quit their job to stay home. Right. Right. Or in your situation, you are one person. (laughs) Right. And I was just about to say that. And can you imagine being one person in the household, one adult per se. Yeah. I mean, my children are technically adults, but uh, yeah, being the the one adult in the household and having to even just like, there's certain, for example, in my case, certain medical appointments my mom can go to Mm -hmm. on her own if they're close by, not driven by highway. She doesn't drive on the highways anymore, but there's certain ones she needs a ride to. And frankly, there's certain appointments everybody needs a ride to, you know, right. whether if there's sedation involved and that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, it's, and so I'm at a point where I'm trying to focus on building community and building like a group of people that, you know, can be called upon in those scenarios because, can you imagine being one person? It, it, it is hard to work and work and care for other people. Yeah. And whether it's in the house or out of the house, whatever, just to do, just to, to work and is really hard. Mm-hmm. And um, so it, it building the sense of community to, of people that you can kind of scroll through and say, oh, can you take this? Or can you take that? If you don't have that built in, I have a girlfriend who has several siblings and they rotate with her, her mom. And so it's, it's a matter of, you know, getting that somehow getting a community of people involved. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and back to like 50 years ago, most people stayed in one place, their, their lives. Like now people are moving around more. We have, 
you know, more capabilities to do that. So they're not really living near family so much and may not have that community. And, you know, um, it's much more difficult um, to have a community than it used to be. And so that's another thing. But also, like, there's there's so much and rightfully so focus on affordable childcare um and being able to take care of kiddos right but there's not as much focus on affordable elder care and how do we care for these elders who you know you have to work you start mm-hmm. to bring in money but they need some help too and maybe their insurance doesn't cover it or maybe they only cover like somebody to do specific things but not all the things you know I think elder care gets left out of the conversation a lot too. That is so spot on. You're so right. You're so right. Affordable child care is really important and affordable elder care is important too. And yes, I, I'm in a position now where I'm looking at uh, potentially like even just for small things and some of these scenarios when you're in the sandwich generation, some of the, the duties that, need to be brought in for the elderly person or a small start small and progress, you know, and even looking at online marketplaces where they have caregivers, you know, there are sites where uh, you can go to for babysitting, but certain people provide elder care as well, but it's not cheap. It's not, it doesn't fall under affordable. Yeah. And Uh, babysitters don't fall under affordable anymore. No, they don't. (laughs) They don't. And yet you you have to put it into perspective and think, but I don't want somebody who is paid minimum wage, who really doesn't put a lot of heart and soul into their work because they're getting paid so minimal. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to ensure safety, you want to ensure uh, quality care, and yet you have to pay for quality care. It's, yeah, yeah. And elder care and care for small, small humans is on a whole different level. I was very fortunate. So my spouse, his job is not going to allow him to be here with our children. And so I needed to find somebody for my classes and I'm like posting and people are like, you can't, you can't pay the way you used to. And I was like, what? Like, I mean, it used to be like per this much per child and stuff. And like, you know, depending on how much care they have to provide. And I was like, oh my God, if I worked like somebody who works a minimum wage job, they can't afford childcare. Like they just can't afford childcare. Like there's no way their whole paycheck would go towards childcare. Um, But anyways, I was fortunate to find somebody who was willing to do it for minimum wage for me. Um, and in Connecticut, that's that's still $14 an hour. So it's not like, it's not something to scoff at. We're not talking about like the federal minimum wage here. Right. But um, she was a young, um, young uh, married spouse, um, military spouse, because we lived near a uh, military base. And she works part-time and she's looking to make extra money. The twins are literally so close to being able to care for themselves. It's (laughs) disgusting, but just not enough, right? Like just, just a little too young where I'm like, no, I'd probably get CPS called on me, but like they're, they're how old are they now? They're 11. Yeah. Okay. They're they're pretty self-sufficient. That's why I'm saying they could pretty much care for themselves. They're self-sufficient. I just need somebody here to make sure they don't burn down the house. Like literally. Yeah. Emergency situations. Exactly. So I'm like, you don't have to do anything. Like these kids throw food at them. They they can cook dinner on their own. Like they, yes, we, they, my, my daughter, their, my daughter, Adrena loves to cook. She absolutely does. And we're making Cameron do it too, because we're told him like, this is not just a woman's job. <laughs> you need to learn to. Good for you. Yeah. So they both know how to cook. So, I mean, sometimes they may need like a little extra help because they're tiny, like they're short. They're preemies too. We talked about this. Yeah, yeah. And so they're really short. Uh, so sometimes they can't reach things on their own and stuff, but they, they're pretty much self-sufficient um, and they could and, and can care for themselves. I just need someone because they're not quite old enough. And so I was like, dang it. And so I put that like in the little blurb. I'm like, listen, you don't have to do anything. If you're a college student, you could do your schoolwork this whole time. I just need you to make sure you get them off the bus. 
they don't burn on the house and they go to bed on time. Like you, you literally, there's like nothing else I need from you. And so this one girl was like, I'd love to, like, it sounds like an easy way to make, you know, like a hundred dollars a week. And I was like, sure is. Yeah. <laughs> and she came and she met them and they all got along really well, which is good. Cause my son Cameron has ADHD. And so sometimes he can, even with medication, he can be a little much for people. So I was like, you have to meet them one so they can like feel you out and see if you're cool but also so that you can feel them out and make sure like I actually like these kids because I don't want you to like you know sometimes you meet kids and you're just like "Mm, I don't know (laughs) yeah yeah it's got to be a good match so yeah I mean the whole point in that whole story was like my my kiddos who are self-sufficient don't require a lot of care I'm still paying minimum wage now you're talking about your elderly parent who needs a lot more care. Um, but also you want somebody who has the skills, right? Like, right. you know, right. if there's a medical emergency, can they take care of it? Like, you know, that sort of thing, which now you're adding more money onto that because somebody working minimum wage are not going to have the skills. Maybe they do. I'm not bash. I don't want to make assumptions, but most people, most people, they working from wage don't, don't have those, like those criteria like that certification that you mm-hmm. know where I'm going mm-hmm. with that the mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. right right experience yeah. the experience yeah yeah and I yeah and and I just think that match is such a good thing to to think about yeah, yeah. when you do bring in care um whether it's for young young people or elderly thinking about that match is so smart yeah I mean, imagine your mom, if you got somebody to come into her house and she absolutely did not like them, that would oh, right. not go over very well. Oh, oh no, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> and, and thankfully she's at a point now where very, you know, it's just more things like when I show up, I have my to-do list mm-hmm. every single time. <laughs> and it's even simple things like here, open this um, new salad dressing. I can't get the top open or, um, Sometimes she can put, you know, take the bed sheets off her bed and wash them and might struggle to get them back on or, mm-hmm. or it might take her two hours to get them on, but she does it, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Or it's um, change the furnace filter. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always a to-do list, which is fine. I'm happy to do that. I do that um, very easily and with heart, but I know that there's going to be a slow progression of, you know, what else is more challenging and perhaps you want somebody to help cook meals or, or maybe yeah. we need to look at, you know, doing more, uh, maybe I should freeze more meals for you and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's, like I said, I think it's just real constantly reassessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I can't, that must be a lot of stress on you having to juggle this. You have your children who you're, you know, have care for and you're setting them up and trying to set them up for success. Um, before like we kickstarted the episode when we were just chatting, you talked about how your son recently was assessed to see if he could drive. And like, you have all these assessments and this care going on with your children, which some people don't have that extra, like, level of care that you have to provide. Um, And then now you have your mom who slowly is needing more and more care. That must be very stressful for you. Uh, The best word I use to describe it is exhausting. Mm -hmm. It's just literally exhausting. And I think a lot of the exhaustion comes from patience or Mm -hmm. lack thereof, you know, or, or I should, Actually, what it is, is extending patients continuously, like constantly extending patients. And when you constantly are extending patients, it, it just becomes exhausting mm-hmm. and it's not coming from, I don't want people to think that I'm holding resentment mm. or um, approaching this in a negative way. But I think from, I have to, I try really hard to look at it from my mom's perspective in terms of, you know, she doesn't hear as well. She has physical pain. Um, 
she might struggle to see things. She recently had, you know, the, the glaucoma surgery and, you know, yeah. or cataract rather cataract surgery that many elderly people have. Yeah. And before that was struggling to see things. And, and so any interaction takes a lot of patience. Yeah. And then when you walk away from it, you're exhausted from mm-hmm. trying so hard to be compassionate and patient. Yeah. But that is, I'm not, I notice a difference. I notice a difference in our relationship when I extend the patience and I am more patient with her and I don't um, rush conversations and I allow her time to share what she wants to share. And, and I think that that is, you know, it's worth it. (laughs) It might be tiring. It might be tiring, but then I just find those um, small bits of time for myself to rest and restore. uh, And that helps me go back and extend more patience. Yeah. I mean, we only, we do not have an unlimited amount of patience, right? Because Mm -hmm. I, I mean, we have a capacity. I always put it this way. We have a capacity for life in general, or if you want Mm -hmm. to think about it as a cup, right? Right. Your cup could be overflowing and it could be empty, but we have a capacity for things and we don't have an unlimited capacity. So we need to have this delicate balance of the things that fill us up and the things that take away from us. And, you know, extending that patience is exhausting because like you're giving from an empty capacity, you, you right. now like right. emptied it out and you're just like, but I got to keep giving and <laughs> right. I have nothing more to give. And, and you know, you said I, you don't want people to think that negative that you're talking negatively, but this isn't an either or situation. You can feel exhausted and worn out and also be like, I really, yeah, I really want to help my mom. I really love my mom. I understand, like you said, I understand from a logical level what is going on here. And you can have both. It's mm-hmm. not an either or situation. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I try really hard to think about perspective and think about and I, I, okay, so this is kind of a little bit off not off topic, but I think about, I've had a lot of loss in my life. Mm -hmm. And in some instances, the person died very suddenly. And in some instances, there was an extended um, illness. And I look, I try really, really hard to look at this when I'm running low on patients. I try really hard to look at it as this is my opportunity to spend time with her. I I try to put it in the perspective of this is her decline. This is like, like the perspective of a decline of disease. And, you know, like, for example, I had a friend who, who died of cancer and, and I treasured those last that last year that we had together and those moments we had. And I'm trying to put that in the same perspective of treasuring these moments that we have together because it is, she is slowly declining and I see it and I feel it. I'm witness to it. And that helps me to have more patience is putting it in that perspective of treasuring the moments because I know that, you know, it, it could be, she could be gone within a year or she could be gone in 10 years, but I need to, try to keep it in the perspective of the, these are the moments that we have together and, and trying really, really hard to just enjoy this time together. Yeah. I, I can completely understand that. And, and that's, it's true is like, and in, like you said, is you're trying to see it from her perspective and I can't imagine what it's going to be like when I start to feel things go. I mean, I, I'm 36 and already I'm like, oh my gosh, can we stop now? Like I should not have this many issues at 36. But I can't imagine being to that level where you're not capable of doing the things that you've always been able to do. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you can feel your health declining. Mm-hmm. Like at 36, you know, I'm not going to knock on wood, slip and fall in, in like, just normally just you know walking right, right. around the house and and break a bone 
But when you get older, your bones become more brittle. Mm -hmm. You know, we all age. Uh, We haven't gotten to the technology yet where they can stop us from aging, but (laughs) (laughs) we're not there yet. But yeah. And and how fearful that must be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there might be times where she acts in a way where you're really frustrated with her, but like, for sure. So scared. Right. Exactly. And, and numerous times <laughs> she's like the age, this aging stuff is for the birds, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and I, and I feel like my cancer has given me the, a little bit of insight because mm-hmm because the ongoing medications I'm on my keep the cancer away pill yeah, <laughs> um, provides me with pain and uh, neuropathy. And so, and um, has multitude of side effects that I deal with. Yep. And so that gives me a little bit of, it's, it's literally aged me more than my age. And so that <laughs> I can sit with her and go, yep this aging is, it stinks. <laughs> Cause I, there are some of the symptoms that I have that, you know, would be more anticipated for somebody who's much older. Yeah. And yeah. So I can relate a little bit and it's interesting because I'm going to mess up the, the exact wording of this, but I was talking with somebody recently, very smart woman who tried to explain to me, she was talking about sympathy or compassion versus empathy and sympathy or compassion would be like, I can say to her, I get it. I get it. I get that your feet hurt because my feet hurt, you know, yeah. that, that sympathy, compassion. I, I you know, I kind of get it, but empathy, this smart woman explained to me is saying, not only do I get it, but I am going to climb into that quicksand with you and I am going to help you and be there with you through those really challenging times. And that's when you more embrace, I guess, the um, the experience with that person. Yeah. And, and I think that's really um, good to know that difference. Because it's okay when you're when you're in the sandwich generation, it's okay if you have maybe perhaps sympathy or compassion for your aging parent. And, you know, I have a friend who who has a lot of sympathy and compassion for her aging mom, but has a certain amount of boundaries where she's like, I cannot do X, Y, Z. She cannot climb into that quicksand with her in certain circumstances. Yeah. And, and it's knowing that and knowing yourself enough to know what, what is it that you can do Mm -hmm. for that person? What do you have the capacity to do based on your current circumstances? And I think that's just important to know because that way like you, like you were talking about with the cup, you don't like just empty the cup and build up the resentment or, or overextend Mm -hmm. to the point of like, this isn't what I signed up for. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. And, um, I was curious, like, how is it on the ad we've talked a lot about, you know, what it's like with your mom. How is it on the other end with your kids is like, cause you got it coming from both ends. Mm-hmm. Like how is that impacting you as well? It's hard. They are. So my particular kids, you know, obviously I'm looking at it from the lens of having children or young adults, I should say, with disabilities versus there are some people in the sandwich generation where they have typical kids that are teenagers. And, or even babies. Or, even or toddlers. Babies. Yeah. Right, right. Younger. Um, so my lens is a little bit different. But so I'm fortunate in that mine are old enough where and capable enough to, for example, stay alone for a couple of hours if I have to, uh, if, if there's like a gap in time and I'm with my mom and, and 
needing, haven't gotten back to them and whatever, they can be alone for a couple of hours. They have a certain level of independence. And I'm really grateful for that. Where some people, they don't. Mm -hmm. It's also what I look at. And because of my situation is I will never be um, in a situation where they won't need some level of support. Yeah. Literally never. They will... And and this is not from a pessimistic pessimistic viewpoint. This is knowing what their abilities are. Mm-hmm. They will always need some level of support, whether it's even just oversight with, um, for example, getting a place to live or getting a job or whatever. They will always need some sort of level of support. I'll never be without that. So for me, I know that I will always be in this sandwich generation until my mom passes. Yeah. And knowing that is hard. And knowing that is also just kind of, I think it just like kind of makes you go, okay, I'm going into this knowing that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's it, uh, that side of the sandwich is, um, Again, it's always changing, you know, and their needs and, and they're in transition right now in terms of where they're at with what they do throughout the day. In a couple of weeks, they start a new program that is going to help them learn more life skills and job. It it provides job training and life skills. And we touched upon that last time. And so they're going to start that in under two weeks. And that's very exciting. Um, but for them, I'm always teaching them things. I, every single day, I'm looking at opportunities to teach them something. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's interesting. I'm always teaching them things and always like just kind of supporting mom and, and watching over her kind of thing. Yeah. And it's going to become more complicated as they kind of like, start going off their own a little bit. Like you said, they're always going to need support, but kind of like becoming more independent mm-hmm. and then mom becoming more dependent. Right. And so you'll constantly have this like tug of war, I guess. Between You're the right. Two. Yeah. It's always like, who needs me the most? And like, for example, even with them growing their independence, like for, for example, a couple of weeks ago, my son said some of his friends wanted to go bowling and meet for bowling. And that's great. I love that he's got friends. I love that they want to go out and do a social activity. And these are all, um, his friends, these are all people with different abilities. And he is not in a position to do that activity. I could not drop him off. At the age of 22, I could not drop him off and leave him at a bowling alley. And he struggled with knowing, for example, what um, I, I, he has a wallet and he has a, a card and that he's learned to use and cash. And, but for him to know, you know, if the cashier tells him a total, he struggles with knowing which bills to pull out of his wallet to total yeah. the amount he needs. So he needs that sort of like supervision with interactions with purchases. And uh, so it's always, like I said, opportunities to teach, but it's also, um, a little bit, you know, it, it's, it can be hard from the mom heart of knowing that at 22, I'm still essentially taking my children on play dates. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's, I, and so then I sat while he bowled and I had brought stuff to do because I didn't, he didn't need me while he was bowling, but he needed certain, a level of supervision. And right. so yeah, in my scenario, I'm, um, I'm just, uh, it's a, it's a hard thing. Yeah. For, for people, uh, parents of, um, people with special needs, it can be really, those certain things can be really, really hard on the heart in terms of like, mm-hmm. we mentioned the driving earlier and potentially yeah. helping him learn to drive. You know, so like at the, this is kind of like off topic, but at the age of 16, there's a little bit of tug in your heart going, well, my, I don't know when my child will learn to drive. And just like I'm talking now, they're not going, they're not in college. They're not, 
I don't know if they will ever live independently. There's always that little bit of tug in the heart of my life is different. Yeah. And I'll definitely, we've talked about you coming back on and specifically talking about what it has been like to raise children with different abilities, because that is not something that um, most people experience, right? And sometimes I have to like, I have to really take a, a a step back when I'm like complaining about things and think about it. Because like I said earlier, I'm like, oh, the twins are 11 and they're almost able to like care for themselves. And then I have to take a step back because I know people like you, I have friends, I know people whose children at age 11 could not do that. And then be like, I guess, humble myself in a manner and, and be like, I've always said hard is hard, right? Mm -hmm. You know, one hard is not, you know. It doesn't take away from yours. Right. You know, my, I could still like feel like, dang, that I have to pay for the sitter. But also be realistic is like, be grateful that like, this is a temporary situation. Like Mm -hmm. soon enough, they will be doing their their thing. And so um, I think, the the point was, I think that stories like yours and your experience is very important. I do want to have you on, you know, maybe in a couple of months or something, kind of space them out a little bit. Yeah. And then and <laughs> to share that to give people perspective. Because, mm-hmm. you know, as a as a parent, before I knew people that had children with different abilities, I didn't have that perspective. So right. definitely right. we'll have you back on again. Um, But as we wrap up the podcast today, what would you like to leave the Inspired Women audience with? Yeah. And I'm sorry, I kind of got off on that little off track. Uh, Oh, no, don't apologize. That's how we go. uh, (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) That's because you're such an awesome person to talk to. Um, I think what I want to leave the audience with is to, and this is based on experiences from both sides of the sandwich, is when you're really in the thick of it, And I found this with my cancer too, is you really have to go into the situation with acceptance and lowering of expectations. Mm -hmm. Like I, I strive really, really hard to uh, give my kids healthy meals and it doesn't happen every day. You know, some days it's takeout because I just don't have it in me to cook. Yeah. And I think lowering your expectations of what you can accomplish in a day or um, you know, how, how the day is going to look is really, that's going to help with the mindset and mm-hmm. prioritizing your sleep, you know, and just, because yes. if, if you have to do takeout and take a nap instead of cook, then that's important. Yeah. So, so just lowering expectations and, and being kind to yourself, I think is just so important. I love that. And that's something everybody can take to heart because I definitely get there too. We were talking, I'm like, I have to, I have a drive tomorrow, so I have to be well rested. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Catherine, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. It's my pleasure. I just adore you and I am grateful for the opportunity to chat with you. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.